Hi, my name is Tuvia Zoretsky, and I'm with the Office of Jews for Jesus out of Los Angeles. Uh, and it's a delight to be with you this morning. Uh, and for all of you who are, are tuning in uh, live streaming, um, we say shalom, welcome, and uh, thanks for inviting us into your home today. Um, with a name like Tuvia Zoretsky, you know I've probably come from a far away, strange, distant land. L.A. <laughs> Actually, um, I, I grew up in the institutions of American Judaism, uh, didn't know anything about Jesus. At the age of 13, I called out to God in the middle of a synagogue service, and I said, God, I'm calling out to you like Isaiah did. Hineni, here am I, send me. I wanted to do something that had meaning in my life. I had no idea that he was listening. <laughs> and 10 years later, he showed up in my life. It's a long story. It's an amazing story. Um, I did not want to be a Christian. I did not like the name Christ. I did not like Christians and all that had happened in the name of Jesus that had hurt my people. And yet, God called me a sinner, broken and in desperate need of salvation, to find that eternal life in Jesus Christ. So I'm here as a brother this morning and delighted to be so. Uh, and, and look forward to digging into the scriptures with you and together seeing some things that hopefully you may not have seen in the context of Thanksgiving. But before I do that, I want to introduce my favorite Jew for Jesus. My wife, Ellen, is over here. And wait for me. <laughs> We're actually visiting with uh, our family that live up in Wait, the Lake Oswego, if they're watching. Hi, team. And uh, um, we just had a wonderful weekend together. Thanksgiving is an amazing celebration holiday of sanctification. And I know you've been talking about that at church. Pastor Sean was telling me that's been a focus. That's a wonderful theme. And, and the harvest season in Asia is always a very important celebration to give thanks to whoever it is that's provided the rain and the crops and the fruitfulness of the land. And because Israel, the Jewish people, come from Asia, originally from um, what would today be Iraq, and then eventually down the land of the Canaanites, became the land of Israel. God embedded in our calendar this wonderful celebration of thanksgiving in accord with what happens all throughout the Mediterranean, the Middle East, and the ancient world where people give thanks to whoever it is, their God, deity, whatever it is that they believe provided all of that, thing, that for them. This morning, I want to look at a couple of things that relate to that, and I want to talk about the feasts of Israel, particularly the fall feasts of Israel. There are three of them that, that all come together around the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot. It's a time that's sanctified, set apart, that we might turn our hearts to God and say thank you for the rain that made our lives fruitful and the fact that you, God, have chosen to dwell in the midst of us. And every year, we rehearse those two elements of our catechism, our discipleship, as God taught our people at least once a year, gather in little booths like we did down in Sinai when you came out of slavery in Egypt, and rejoice that I, God, have made you fruitful and that I dwell with you, and I love doing that. So that, for me, is, is the, the delight of this particular season, what we just celebrated this last weekend. Actually, the, the pilgrims who came to, to North America looking for new life and freedom to worship, 
we're looking back to the Hebrew Scriptures for a pattern of how God sanctified the practice of thanksgiving in a corporate, in a body, in a community. So we're going to be looking at the passages that they looked to as well. In Leviticus chapter 23, if you're taking notes, we're going to be working in two places. One is uh, Leviticus chapter 23, which, I mean, I love the Old Testament. It just, it reminds me so much of the New Testament. I do read the New Testament, and I love it, but you've got to know the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures that laid the whole foundation for it. And we'll also be looking at the New Testament um, in John chapter 7, because it's amazing to find out that Yeshua, that's Jesus in Hebrew, that Yeshua, that Jesus celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. And now maybe this morning you'll see even more depth and richness to the background of all of that. So we'll be looking at those. Leviticus chapter 23, where all seven of the festivals of Israel are mentioned, um, we'll be looking, looking into that and, and then in John 7. By the way, um, when we're, we're done this morning, we're going to be talking a lot about at least these one set of festivals. If you have time, please stop by our Connect table. You'll meet Ellen back there. I'll try and be back there as well. Um, we're, we've got a little booklet that's not in print anymore. I got a, a, a PDF of it. It's a little booklet called A Roadmap to Christ in the Seven Feasts. If you'd like a copy of that, all you got to do is stop by, back by there, leave us your um, email address, and I'll send that out to you tonight or tomorrow morning. All right, A Roadmap to Christ in the Seven Feasts. It's a lot more of the background to what's happening. If you're looking uh, online, if you want to write for that, you can write to Tuvia, T-U-V-Y-A, at jewishgentilecouples.com that's the focus of my ministry with uh, with couples where one couple one partner's jewish tuvia at jewishgentilecouples.com okay well let's let's dive into our our passages this morning um and, and i want to just point out that from the beginning to the end of scripture god told us in a three-part formula i get this from my old testament theology professor walter c kaiser jr god spoke to us in the three-part formula and you see it from the Torah to the book of the Revelation of John. I will be your God. You will be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of you. Think about this for a moment. In fact, say them with me, won't you? I will be your God. You will be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of you. The gospel is not an abstract theological construct. The gospel is about a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's what he intended from the very beginning of the scriptures all the way back at the time of creation and in those first three chapters of, of Genesis. God is in relationship with Adam and Eve. And in that setting, he walked with them, he talked with them, he dwelt with them, he loved them, he fed them, he cared for them. And from the very beginning, he was saying to them and to us repeatedly throughout scriptures, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. And we're going to see how in his catechism, his discipleship of Israel, he literally uses structures and artifacts to teach these lessons to them and to us. These apply to us today. They count in our lives today. Now, set Israel aside for a moment. I want to read them together with you again, 
And I want you to realize that God is saying this to you and to me this morning. Let's read them one more time. I will be your God. You will be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of you. And so God invites us to have a teachable moment. And he did that with uh, ancient Israel. Um, we're, we're reminded that um, so all humanity was created in God's image. Uh, during that time in the, in the garden, there is the fall. Adam and Eve did what you and I would have do, done, choosing to exercise the free will that we've been given, react against God, offend him, disobey him. Our relationship is broken, and yet God said he would bring the seed of a woman who would accomplish reconciliation, he would redeem us, that is to bring us back out of the slavery of that sin and death. He would reconcile us to him. He would regenerate us, give us new life, and he would renew us day by day as often as we fell and lift us up unto the fullness of eternal life. And Jesus is the one who said that eternal life is not a theological abstract. It is a relationship. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and the Messiah, Yeshua, the Messiah, Savior, that's his name, Jesus, whom you sent. Eternal life is a relationship. And these three concepts, these three relational states are all a, a, a function of being redeemed, reconciled, regenerated and renewed. So God needed, um, he needed a woman if he's going to have a seed. And so he calls uh, a family, a tribe. He calls on Abraham to start a, a family. And from that, Isaac and Jacob, tribes, and then a nation. And the nation was formed while enslaved in the land of Egypt for 400 years. God calls that nation, hearing our, the cries of our people. You said, you're our God, we're your people. You're in our midst. Where are you? And God sent Moses. He said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God used that hardness to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, planted them in the Sinai wilderness, said, I will be your God. You'll be my people. I will dwell in the midst of you. And I'm sure at that point they looked around and, go, and said, this is the desert. <laughs> yes. For in that place of isolation, God created a holy place. In Leviticus 26, we read, He said to them, I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord your God. I will be your God. You'll be my people. I'll dwell in the midst of you. Here he creates in the Sinai wilderness a tent of meeting, it's called a, a makom kodesh, uh, a holy place. That's that little little room in the very back. But the whole area was called the, the Beit HaMikdash or Beit HaMishkan, uh, a, a place sanctified for worship with God and meeting with him. It was all about meeting, being together with him. And he, in the middle of our camp, taught us to worship him. And all the artifacts and the structures of this were intended, they were sanctified to teach us all about him. 
You have the, the temple itself, the tabernacle itself. It's just a, a tent, a, a, a curtain surrounding a, a sanctified place. Later on, it became the temple in the city of Jerusalem built by Solomon about 450 years later. But that sanctified Mishkan Kodesh, the holy place, that meeting area is where God met with our people. He said, I will be your God. You'll be my people. I will dwell in the midst of you. And day and night over the, the holy of holies, this cloud of smoke gave appearance of God. And at night, this pillar of fire. And the people could look at that at any time of day and knew that God is with us. We were slaves, and now we've been set free. God is with us. The priests were there to lead the people in worship. You have had a cast of people from one of the families, the Kohenim, the, from the tribe of Levi, the Leviim. They were set apart as worship leaders, musicians, singers, and people who conducted sacrifices. Oh, yeah, that's another part of it. The altar and the burning fire on that altar. Those were sanctified places where God taught us sin will kill you. A substitutionary death will give you redemption and life. Day after day, sin offerings, peace offerings, fellowship offerings with God to teach us sin is a part of life. It kills. Blood on the altar will redeem and reconcile you. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Will you trust that? 40 years in the wilderness, day after day, Bible study, right there in the middle of the camp. It's kind of an amazing picture. Amazing because all of these, said that wrote the Apostle Paul, all of these were just shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Messiah Jesus. The holy place within the temple was for meeting with God to discover redemption, to discover reconciliation. And it was in front of that that those blood sacrifices were offered. The gospel is embedded in these pictures, in these stories, and all of it points to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. Now, I, you'll notice um, if you look in your Bible, the ESV says um, the substance belongs to Christ it's a struggle for me, not because of the, my pre-Christian understanding of what Christ meant, but was it, it mean, it's something that most Christians have no idea what, what it's all about. There are words that, are, that we use commonly. And the word Christ, to tell you the truth, as I was growing up in a traditional Jewish home, I thought Christ was his last name. You know, Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, Jesus Christ. I had no idea that it was a title. Anybody else have that problem? <laughs> okay. But when I talk to couples so often, the, uh, neither partner understands that the word meant the anointed one of God, the one who would be the child of the woman who would fulfill Genesis 3.15 and accomplish our perfect, eternal connection with God. So when I see that name Messiah, that title Messiah, my heart is lifted because I know that the scriptures have been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus the Messiah. And everything we read about in Genesis and Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy, all of it points to Jesus. 
So the Old Testament is worth studying, right? Yes. Okay. Amen. Good. So we have this uh, this promise of of uh, these festivals, and and in uh, Leviticus twenty three we're told that there is an eight-day festival called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Sukkot. Sukkot meant tents. It meant just the little, little shacks, the little booths that our people built around the, the tabernacle area, the big tabernacle, the Sukkot Gadol, the great big, big tent. We have these little, these little ones. And we're told on the, in the seventh month of the year, which is the fall, the harvest season, on the 15th day of that month, which happens to be a full moon, the middle of the month is always a full moon, we are to come to the city of Jerusalem. Wherever we were in the world, we were to go to the city of Jerusalem and to celebrate the harvest festival, what God has done for our people. And uh, like we did here, you know, we, we just set aside that, that was the third Thursday in, in November to celebrate um, the feast of uh, the Thanksgiving. That's what was happening. It was a festival of Thanksgiving at the, the, height, the heart of the, that season. And it all began two weeks before because God wanted to make sure that everybody knew what was going on. And he said, two weeks before, stand in the holy place and blow a trumpet. And that's what the trumpet looks like. It's a shofar. And that shofar would sound this loud blast and it would echo through the hills to the next village. And the people in that village would blow another shofar, and that would echo across the next set of valleys to the next village. And so it went from, you know, Wilsonville to Salem to here. <laughs> it would just echo, and, and the people knew that we have two weeks to get up to the city of Jerusalem. And so the, the high priest would blow that, that trumpet. Um, it, the day on the Hebrew calendar is called the day for having a blast. <laughs> it's, that's what shofar means. It's a blast. Uh, today, the, because the temple has been des was destroyed in 70 AD, there is no temple. There is no sacrifices. In fact, none of the artifacts that were part of the catechism exist any longer. And so the rabbis weren't sure what to do with it. And they called it um, Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the new year. And so it's... <laughs> It's the first month, first day of the seventh month of the year. Um, don't be confused. Uh, Jewish people, if you know any, at this time of year, would send cards to one another and, and wish one another a happy new year. And that's okay. But we want to point back to what the biblical meaning of this festival was. He got two weeks to get up in the city of Jerusalem. When that trumpet, trumpet sounded, it meant either God wanted to, to get a message out among his prophets to the people in the city of Jerusalem. It was a call for counsel or it was a call to war. You honored that call and went up to the city of Jerusalem for wherever you were. Now, if you're on your way up to the, it's the alarm clock, okay? It's the, the annual alarm clock to go and celebrate the festival of Thanksgiving and Feast of Booths. Now, on your way up to the city of Jerusalem, and you're, you're starting out, you're bringing crops from your field. You're bringing pomegranates. You're bringing grapes, bringing raisins if it take too long. You're bringing plums. They might be prunes by the time you, it all counts. You're going to bring a goat, maybe a sheep, something that's going to be offered in the sacrifices. Everybody's bringing something to, to contribute to this family festival. But on your way, all of a sudden, you know, you realize something. You're going to God's house. That's a sanctified place. 
He dwells there in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies. His presence is there. His glory, his light fills that place. What happens if I'm walking up and he doesn't want to accept my sacrifice because I'm not a good person? What if he sees in my heart that I'm not, I'm not whole, I'm not perfect? There are things that I've thought, done, said. I don't know about you, but there are days that, that something will pass in my mind from my life that make me wince. You ever have those moments where you go, ah? Oh. Then I remember I'm forgiven in Christ, and it changes everything. The ancient Israelites experienced that on the way up to the city of Jerusalem. They're going to God's house. He's dwelling there in the Shekinah glory. And he said, when you come to my house, don't worry. Because five days before this festival, there's going to be a sacrifice offered on the altar inside of the Holy of Holies where God dwells, a box filled with elements, artifacts of our history. The two tablets, God is a God of promise, of covenant, a God of canon law, of rules. Don't lie. Don't cheat. You know what those are all about. The do's and the don'ts have only one God before you. There's only one God. We say, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that doesn't mean a one singular God. It means the only God, the one God that there is, the one true God. And as a matter of fact, the word Echad implies a unity that can be a composite. That's why we can, can believe that there is but one God who's manifested himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the altar uh, contained those, those tablets. They, they contained a, a jar of manna, manna that was a, a reminder that God was providing for our people. There, was, there were no Trader Joes in the wilderness. And yet they had food to eat every single day for 40 years to feed their families. And the rod of, of uh, Aaron uh, that reminded them that God is a, a God of provision. He's a God of power. He is the one who has displayed his power on earth. And so in the midst of this, we brought a sacrifice that was ordained, sanctified by God, one sacrifice once a year that was good enough for all the sin of all the people, including the high priest who had to put that blood on his own ear, thumb, and toe to cover sin of his thoughts, of his deeds, and where he went. And we were promised, come to the city of Jerusalem. Come up and celebrate the feast because God has judged your sin and redeemed you once a year for everything that went on this past year. Come on up to the house and know that you're welcome. Redeemed, reconciled, renewed, regenerated. What a wonderful picture. Come to somebody's house and know how welcome you are, how loved you are. I will be your God. You'll be my people. 
and I'll dwell with you in the midst of you. This is the picture of the scriptures that God's message keeps coming to us. And so he said, come on up. And on the eighth day, in Leviticus 22, we're told, say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's feast of Sukkot begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. Now, seven days, 15th day, we understand that's the full moon for seven days. A whole week's going to go on. We're going to hear about one extra day that's added on to the end of that. It lasts throughout that, throughout that week, a sacred assembly, a time set apart to the Lord. Do no regular work. The word for work is avodah. The word for worship is avodah. Interesting. Same word, work, worship. God accepts and loves both. He created us to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion in the earth, and like him, to create, to take our energy and, and bring about profit in this world by our good work and expand his presence in this world, whether we do that through children or building and contributing to the goodness that we find in society through the presence of people who love the living God. So he says, do no regular work. Well, the regular work that he was, he's asking people not to be involved in would be preparing or planting the fields, cultivating, creating industrious effort. Instead, he says, come to the city of Jerusalem to worship, to take all of our passion and pour that out in expression for all his goodness, to give thanks to him. That's our focus during Sukkot, to give thanks to him. Tabernacles is what that, that week was to be all about. And so we have those seven days. We're going to be living in booths. For seven days, present offerings made to the, uh, to the Lord by fire. Those are oxen, sheep, goats, and they're specified in the scriptures in increasing numbers so that each day that barbecue is getting bigger and bigger. And the food is being distributed to the people. Some have brought libations up with them from their, their vineyards. Some have brought grapes or, as I mentioned, pomegranates or vegetation, vegetables or fruit. It's a huge meal. The Levitical singers are singing throughout the days. It's an enormous celebration and a rejoicing time for a whole week. Israel, they still celebrate this today. Israelis, everybody in the country takes the week off. It's kind of like Christmas in Israel. Shopping malls are filled with people buying gifts to give to one another. They, they um, set up little, little booths in their homes. Look like that. Seven days a week, all native-born Israelites are to live in booths, we're told in, in Leviticus 23, 42. And so they'll set up these little booths. People will come over. They'll have meals. In 2008, I was there with a team. By the way, Jews for Jesus is in Israel. We are incorporated, in 2000, we incorporated as, under the name Yehudim Laman Yeshua, Jews for Jesus in the state of Israel. And they accepted our, our registration. That was a miracle, <laughs> a big miracle. And so we went out, uh, teams of us would go out through the um, apartment blocks and we would go in and, and knock on people's doors. Hospitality is a big part of what was happening and uh, gift giving is. So we would go and, and people would invite us in. They'd want to talk. Um, we explained that we were, we were Yehudim uh, Mishachim, we're Messianic Jews, 
and they would want to know what that's all about, and we would talk about what they believed, and then we said, could we give you a gift? And they, and they would give us something to eat, and they'd say, okay, what have you got? We have a little New Testament. Okay, we'll take that. And we distributed thousands of those during the Feast of Tabernacles. So this was the, the way that the festival was, was celebrated, um, and, it, and that eighth day is the Hoshana Rabbah, the, the great day of the, the festival, uh, as I, we just read. Um, it's the closing assembly. This is the, the grand finale. It's like the, the ending of um, July 4th with all the fireworks going off and everything, everything exploding and, and the, the greatest number of sacrifices and the, the singing going on. through the, It's a, just a, a grand and a delightful time. I only wish our people kept this carefully throughout, throughout the centuries. They did not. They did not. We know that uh, um, Solomon celebrated the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem, the building, on Sukkot. But there are very, very few other times where it's reported that the people kept this particular festival. And when the, when the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C., the people saw the Shekinah glory that had dwelt above the, the Holy of Holies depart to the east. And the prophet said, it will come from the east again when the Redeemer arrives out of the east. We're longing and looking forward to that day when Jesus comes again. But it was a sad moment. Um, the, the story of, of this particular festival was to teach us two things. God dwells with us. He's Emmanuel. He dwells in our midst. And he makes us fruitful as he makes the land fruitful by the rains that, that are poured out. And every night as we would celebrate this festival, um, we would uh, take bread and, and vegetation, fruit, and, and we would hold it and we would give thanks to God for, for what he has done. Um, I'd ask our kids sometimes, trying to... Rain is really important to, to the vegetation, and, and we have to we praise God for pouring out his rain and fruitfulness in our lives. Uh, and we would say to the kids, where does, where does bread come from? They would go, Safeway? Grocery store? Yeah, but I'm thinking a little more. Um, and then I turned to, to Maltby Babcock's hymn, uh, in which he writes, Behind the loaf is the mill, and behind the mill is the grain. Before that was the seed and the Lord who gives us the rain. These things are, are just a shadow, remember? They're just a shadow of the substance that belongs to Christ. And Jesus fulfills the Feast of Tabernacles in a way that, that we can only see now as we look into the New Testament and John's Gospel, Chapter 7. And in John 7, we're told that for the first time, now the Feast of Tabernacles was being kept at the, the uh, temple of uh, King Herod, the Herodian temple. But it did not have the, the same kind of awareness of God's presence because the Shekinah glory was not filling that temple. In fact, the, the Shekinah had not, the glory of God had not filled the temple again until Jesus walked there in this incident that we read in John, John chapter 7. We read in verse 2, Now the feast 
of the Jews, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles was near. And all the disciples uh, minus Jesus uh, were getting ready to go to the city of Jerusalem. And people were asking, the, the disciples were asking, why aren't you going to go up and, and keep Sukkot with us? Uh, and he said, because the, the leaders are looking to stop me. And he waited. And then, um, and by the way, the first time I read the New Testament, uh, as a Jew coming out of Judaism, I, I, you know, I'm looking for Johnny Cash and Billy Graham. I don't know what to, to somebody says, why don't you read the New Testament? I went, oh, sure. That's, I know all about that one. And then I get to, to John chapter 3, and Jesus is keeping Passover. And in John chapter 4, he's, uh, they're, they're involved in his synagogue. And in John 7, they're already in the temple celebrating Sukkot. And I thought, where, where has this been my whole life? Where have I been my whole life on this? So verse 14, when it was now the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple area and he began to teach. And wouldn't we love to know what he taught? Well, we do know what he taught. He goes up to the temple and he begins to talk with the, the Jewish people. And it's worth taking time to read this whole section in John 7 between verse 14 and the end of that chapter. It's powerful interaction with the Jewish leaders in which which time he makes it very plain that he is the Messiah. No doubt about it. And in the context of this particular festival, it is painful to read knowing that the Jewish leaders struggled with, with who he is and what he'd come to do. In fact, there's still a struggle with that today. We've been working very hard to lift high the name of Jesus. You did a study here in the Gospel of Matthew, right? Right. Matthew was written for the... Jews. Right. <laughs> I knew, I knew you'd do that. <laughs> I love it. And he spoke to the Jewish people about Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 27, God gave the name of Jesus to his parents, but it wasn't Jesus. I know it says in your Bible, the, the angel tells Joseph, the messenger tells Joseph, she shall, Miriam shall have a son, you shall call his name That's what it says in English. In Hebrew, it says, you shall call his name Yeshua because he will hoshia his people from their sins. There's a play on words there. Yeshua, hoshia, the same root is Savior who will save. It was a common name, and when people had the name Yeshua, it means Savior. The angel gave him that name. And you know, even today, the rabbis in Israel do not want to call him that. They've corrupted the name. If you ask an Israeli what the name of, uh, of Jesus is, they would say Jesus, or they would say Yeshu. But Yeshu is not Yeshua. They drop the A off the end, and the acrostic, the abbreviation, stands for may his name and memory be cursed. So we've been lifting high the name Yeshua. And um, so in the background of what, what Jesus walks into, here's the one whose name is Yeshua. He comes to the city of Jerusalem. On this day, at this time, on the Hoshanah Rabbah, the, the last great day of the feast, there's a water-drawing ceremony going on. And the people are singing from Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. He el Yeshua ti. Behold, God is my Savior. I will trust and I won't be afraid. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. 
and with joy we will draw forth water from the Me'ayin Yeshua, from the wellsprings of salvation. The priests bring large pitchers, ewers they're called, from the pool of Siloam filled with water. They go up to the Temple Mount. And on the Hoshana Rabbah, with all of this pageantry going on, there's a great bowl up in the center of the, the, the temple platform. Holes are punched in it. They pour the water into the, the bowl, and the water sprays across the temple platform and watering the feet of the priests and the people standing there. And I picture that it was in the middle of this great water-drawing ceremony that Jesus walks into the temple. And we're told, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cry out, cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John needs to add to this an explanation because we were talking about and thinking about just the water that brought fruitfulness to the land. But Jesus is looking at the spiritual meaning. And John says, but by this he said in reference to the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You and I know the glorified Jesus. His spirit has come to dwell with us and within us. God's salvation plan was all about this. That human beings, broken, separated, sometimes disobedient, could be reconciled to the living God through the blessing of his Holy Spirit who comes and dwells inside of us when our sin has been atoned by a blood sacrifice on a fitting cross that God receives as that atonement for our sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish because sin has been defeated, but have life eternal. And eternal life is that relationship Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know the one true God and Jesus whom you have sent. It's all about a relationship. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. As God dwelt among his people in Sinai, so now he comes to dwell in the midst of us, in the power of his Holy Spirit. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your bodies. This is our experience now. Have you, have you known that? Do you long for the fruit of the Spirit? If you think that you have to do it in your own strength, you're missing the point. The fruit of the Spirit comes because you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're his people. He's our God, and he dwells even within you. I began this morning saying that from Torah to Revelation 
This story is in three simple statements. I will be your God, you'll be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. And there it is at the very end of the book of Revelation. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people. This is the new Jerusalem. He will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. Got a new view on the New Testament and what God has intended for us from the very beginning and how thanksgiving is this wonderful reflection on, on God's blessing and grace.